All right, we're going to turn our attention to God's Word now, and we have the wonderful privilege of hearing God's Word from Austin McCann. Austin is the RUF campus minister at Texas A&M University, and uh, one of the one of the really unique and wonderful things about RUF, which is the denominational ministry, college ministry of our denomination, on about 150 campuses across the country. And one of the unique things is there's about 150 ordained ministers ministering on those campuses. All of these groups are led by a trained pastor who gets to care for and lead uh, college kids and open God's Word to them. And Austin is going to come and open God's Word for us. Come on up. Austin is from Memphis, Tennessee. He's a proud graduate of Mississippi State and Reformed Theological Seminary. He and his wife, Alex, have two wonderful children, and we're really glad that you're here. Thanks, Austin. Man, thanks so much for having me, uh, Derek. And thank you, Hope Presbyterian Church, for having me here. Uh, it really is a joy to be with you. Uh, it's been a joy to just get to know Texas in general. Um, we moved uh, to College Station in June, so we're very new, and I'm still learning the geography. And wow, the hill country here is, it's just beautiful. Uh, and so really, uh, I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for Derek, I need to say that. He was uh, the head of the REF committee, and so he's the one who actually offered me. So I'm here because of Derek, so thank you, Derek. Uh, obviously in God's providence, right? Um, but really, it is a joy to be with you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I understand that y'all have been going through Mark. We're dipping back into the very beginning of Mark, and I just want to say a good morning to everyone, and also a very special howdy to all my Aggies out there. So I knew I was going to get somebody. Uh, <laughs> let me just say this. If you know, if, if you have any connection to Texas A&M, if you're a former student, if you know current students, yes, uh, and if you know future students coming to Texas A&M, please, uh, please reach out to me, get to know me. I, I would love to connect them. Uh, to RUF, to, please connect them to me, and we, we want RUF to be a home for our students away from home. So uh, please do that. I'd love to meet you after this. Um, so let's now turn our attention to God's Word. This is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and I'm going to read that for us. It may be on the screen behind us here if you don't have a Bible with you. And uh, let's turn our attention now to God's Word. This is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was home, at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Would you pray, pray with me? Father, I ask uh, this morning that we would be re-amazed again today by the forgiveness that is offered to us in your gospel. Lord, would you convict us where we need conviction? Would you comfort us where we need comfort? I ask that your word would not just be informative, but transformative for all of us this morning. As we leave today, we will be more confident in your forgiveness, more humbled by your grace, and more assured again in the love that you have for us only through the blood of your son, Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we, as, as we approach our passage this morning, I want us to consider a question. Right? If someone were to ask you today, what is the biggest problem that you have faced or are facing in your life right now, what are some of the things that you would say? How would you respond? Right? If I had to guess in, in this morning in a room this size that most of us would say things like losing a loved one, sickness, Cancer, serious financial debt, marital strife, maybe a child who won't talk to us anymore, chronic pain, addiction, maybe a sin pattern that you just can't shake, disability, depression, anxiety, a longing to be married, right? The list could go on and on. My follow-up question would be this. Where do you take these very real and serious problems? What solution are we looking for to fix these various, I mean, these very immediate and serious needs in our life? When we encounter Jesus today in our passage, the bad news that Mark reveals for us is actually that our primary problem is actually a lot worse than we realize. We've underestimated our deepest need. But the triumphant and good news is that the solution to our greatest problem has been accomplished by our greater healer, Jesus Christ. Right, this story is, is beautifully written with a lot of unexpected twists and turns that produce a reaction of astonishment or shock in the characters in this episode. So we're going to consider three surprises in the progression of our passage, a chain reaction of surprises this morning. If you're a note taker, here are three points. Shocking, I'm a Presbyterian pastor, I know. So there are three points. Okay, so Jesus' surprising healing in verses 1 through 5, the scribes' surprising questions, And lastly, the crowd's surprising worship. So Jesus' surprising healing, the scribes' surprising questions, and the crowd's surprising worship. So first, Jesus' surprising healing in verses 1 through 5, right? Mark narrates this opening scene by saying that it had been reported that Jesus was back in Capernaum. And they didn't have Twitter, they couldn't share their location on Google Maps. But news was spreading quickly throughout the villages and towns in Galilee that no doubt Jesus' popularity, it was growing, right? Word about his healing and his casting out demons and his teaching was spreading. So much so that Mark tells us that this home where Jesus was preaching the word was so packed that people were actually spilling out of the doorway. There are fire violation codes all over this passage, Right, and it's important to note that in this house on that day, it was filled with all different kinds of people, right, all the way from religious leaders and scribes down to common, ordinary fishermen. And Mark gives us these details to introduce us to to five friends, four of whom were on a mission to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Okay, he tells us that instead of giving up when they see this crowded doorway, 
They go up the stairs on the top of the roof because everything they had heard about this man named Jesus was that he could heal. And so they started digging. Right? And this, this was not a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible scene, right, where the, where the spy quietly repels down. No, this was a loud, disturbing demolition process. Right? The, the, the typical first century Jewish roof was built with a series of wooden beams and layered with branches and covered with plastered clay and mud. So there's no doubt that dirt and mud and branches would have been falling all over the people in the home underneath them. It would have definitely have caused a scene, and there was an awkward conversation awaiting these four friends with the homeowner after this incident. Right? But what makes this episode of Je- what, what makes this episode of Jesus' healing surprising? I want you to, this morning to try and imagine yourself in the sandals of these four friends on that roof that day. Right? You, you spent your time and your energy trying to bring your paralyzed friend to this man named Jesus. You've interrupted him while he preaches. You've just created a demolition site in the homeowner's roof. And as you are lowering your paralytic friend down to the feet of this Jewish man, you have to be thinking to yourself, as I'm sure they were, like, this better be worth it. Now I, I want you to imagine yourself as this paralyzed man, helplessly being lowered for all to see. Right? Your, your entire life you've been a prisoner in your own body and a prisoner to your own bed, not having the ability to run and jump and to swim or to stand or to get out of bed in the morning. How long your entire life have you been identified as the paralytic? And here at last... You're placed before Jesus, a man whom you've heard has the power to heal you. And the moment of truth, certainly healing was about to come. And Jesus looks at your friends, and he looks at you, and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Like, <laughs> that's it? <laughs> like, really? Like, really, Jesus? Like, can you imagine the confusion, the disappointment racing through the mind of this paralyzed man and through the minds of his friends? Jesus, do you not see the immediate need here? Does he not see him lying? Does he not see our friend lying on his bed? Does he not know how much time and energy we spent to come and bring our friend to Jesus? Was this fake news? Is he unable to heal? What's forgiveness when your legs don't work? Right? How often in our own pain have we been tempted to wonder the same thing? With disabilities and heartaches in our homes, with chronic pain in our bodies, with school shootings and death and violence seemingly all around us, with hobbled hopes and drooping spirits, we wonder why does our Messiah not just go ahead and heal us, us and our loved ones? Nancy Guthrie, who's, who's a wife and mother, she's a well-known author and, and has written some, some great works on suffering. Um, tragically, she, broke, she lost both of her children, Gabe and Hope, uh, to a, a, a fatal genetic syndrome right after they were born. And she did an interview with the Gospel Coalition on ministering to people in their suffering. And she said, one of the best things we can do is pray. And not only pray that God would remove the suffering or lighten the load, which is good and right things that we should pray for, but instead of stopping there, we should pray that God would accomplish a great work through our suffering or our loved one's suffering. She uses the example of John 9, which is the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And his disciples ask Jesus, they, they say, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
And Jesus says, it was neither this man nor his parents, but this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, one of the most helpful ways to pray for one another in our suffering is that God would accomplish a great work through and in us. Because even though we may not ever know the why behind our suffering in this life, right, the pattern we find all throughout Scripture is that God promises that He will always use the suffering of His people for His good purposes. And our prayers should reflect that with one another. Because you see, the greatest of all works was accomplished that day in our passage. Why? Because the most primary need for the paralytic man was not the revival of his limbs, but the renewal of his heart. Because in that moment, Jesus gave him something better, something eternal, something that no man or any physical matter could ever take away from him. He didn't primarily need strengthened legs. He needed a strengthened heart, a heart that was reconciled to God, a heart that was forgiven, a heart that heard God call him son, the same heart that we need today. Right, even if this story was to end here at verse 5, and if this man was to go home still on his bed, trapped in the same prison of a body, Jesus' words that as many sins had been forgiven was still enough, uh, still enough reason to make him sing a, a thousand lifetimes. And it begs the question, where is our joy rooted? Right, is our joy rooted in our abilities or our family reputation, or our comfort, or our looks? Or on the opposite end, is it swallowed up by our sufferings? See, Christian, if you are in Christ this morning, you have a higher reason to reclaim hope because your primary need has been accomplished. Luke 10 verse 20 tells us that your name is written in heaven. You see, this is the most central plot line of all of Scripture is that Christ came for the salvation of his people. He came to make dead hearts alive in him. He came to forgive sinners and declare them righteous before God. And this is the exact reason why the scribes are so surprised, which leads us to our next point, the scribes' surprising questions in verses 6 through 11. Because in verses 6 through 11, Jesus' declaration of forgiveness, it leaves the religious leaders in astonishment. Right, what, what began as a heartwarming healing suddenly turns into a heated confer- co- confrontation of a religious authority. Like the theological alarm bells would have been ringing in the minds of the scribes, and that's exactly what the text tells us. They say, this man's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right, but before we too quickly vi- villainize the scribes here, it, it needs to be said that yes, they are wrong, but they are also very right, <laughs> And how can that be? Well, the scribes are wrong that Jesus is blaspheming, but they are spot on that it is God alone who who can forgive sins. So what does that say about who Jesus is? I'm sure all throughout your study of Mark, you've you've been learning this, right? That he is God, that he is both God and man. Right, Mark himself gives us gives the reader evidence because the text says that Jesus knew what the scribes questioned in their hearts. It's impossible for man to know what another man is thinking, but but nothing is impossible for God. Mark himself is claiming that Jesus is God. See, but here, but then Jesus takes, takes the argument one stage further. 
he addresses the scribes and says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, on the surface, like, of, of course it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because that's something that's invisible and impossible to disprove, right? No one can see the result of that, but it's actually harder to say, take up your bed and walk, because if the man doesn't get up, then it proves that you don't have authority to heal, so, Jesus, so, so how does Jesus verify his authority and identity? He looks at the scribes and he says, watch this. <laughs> so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, Jesus turns to the paralytic. He says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the man picks up his bed and walks out. You see, Jesus did go on to heal this man's legs. And in doing so, he confirms that what he says is true, and he proves himself to be God, that he is the authority to heal and forgive. And it's also true that Jesus does not mend the bodies of all of his children in this age, but he does promise that he will in the next. Um, in 1967, Johnny Erickson Tata uh, dove into shallow water and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. And in 1979, she started a disability ministry called Johnny and Friends, which is a, a global ministry that has reached, reached millions of people touched by disability. And after some time of her accident, a reporter ended up coming to Johnny and said, hey, Johnny, like, I'm running, a, I'm running an article here. Can I just follow you around for a normal week and just observe your day-to-day -day life? And she was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, we can do that. That's no problem. And it's important to note that before her accident, Johnny enjoyed all the same things a 17-year-old did, right? She loved to swim, she, run, she loved to run and play sports, but before her accident, she especially loved to ride horses. And one afternoon, her and this reporter went out to a barn to watch people ride horses. And they were out there all afternoon, and Johnny is sitting next to a fence post just watching people ride for hours. And um, the reporter was kind of sitting there kind of, in, kind of awkwardly, like pacing back and forth. And he finally mustered up the courage and asked, look, Johnny, like this, this has got to be torture for you. <laughs> Why do you do this to yourself? Why do you sit here and just watch people ride all day? And she simply looked up at him and says, because I don't want to forget how. Because I know one day that I will ride again. Right? Whether there will be horses in heaven or not. But the point is this, is that what Johnny was doing was that she was leaning into the resurrection. Because Jesus has primarily and ultimately forgiven her of her sins by dying on the cross, defeating death by his resurrecting from the grave. And she knows that one day her body will be made new and fully restored. Because Christ has healed her spiritual paralysis of her heart, she knows that one day he will completely heal her physical paralysis, and one day she will ride again. You see, the gospel irony of this passage is that on that day, every scribe, every disciple, every man, every woman, every child, every person on that roof and in that house that day are in just as much desperate need of Jesus as the man, as the paralyzed man laying on his mat. And so are you and me. <laughs> no matter how much knowledge you have, no matter how many degrees that are hanging on your wall, 
no matter how polished or good you may think you are with people, whether you're eight years old or 80 years old, an Aggie or a Longhorn, your greatest need this morning is to hear and receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers in his gospel. And for those of you who have received his grace and forgiveness this morning, then the only proper response for you is to join the crowd this morning in surprising worship, which leads us to our last point, the crowd surprising worship in verse 12. Because Mark concludes this story in verse 12 with once again another surprising reaction, right? A, a wonderful astonishment from the crowd, right? They, uh, Mark tells us they marvel at Jesus' forgiveness and healing. And the text says that they glorify God. They worshiped him. Why? Because worship is the only proper response to undeserved forgiveness. You see, it wasn't the quality or the quantity of the faith that these friends had in and of themselves to produce forgiveness in their paralytic friend that day. Actually, from everything that the text indicates, they were simply bringing their friend for physical healing. But you see, it was actually who they placed their faith in that day, the object of their faith, namely Jesus himself. And that's the beauty of God's forgiveness, that as sinners who were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were never looking for God's forgiveness, but he gave it to us only by his free grace alone. When, when was the last time that you were surprised by your salvation? Because when people look at us, they should say, like, really? Like, you're a Christian? <laughs> and our response should be, I know, right? It's crazy. It's crazy that God would save someone as wretched as me. Because there was nothing in and of myself that earned his forgiveness. But God called me to himself only by his grace alone. You know, we, we, we opened with some examples of some of the biggest problems that we're facing right now. And, and the solution to these various, very serious and immediate needs in our life. Right, for some of you this morning, yes, God may be using severe trials to show you how truly helpless and in need you actually are of in Him. And some of these problems, they may be serving as a check engine light that is warning you of a much deeper problem under the hood of your heart. And before the door of grace is closed, I ask that He would unroof the hardness of your heart and that you would come to Him and you would receive His forgiveness, which no money can buy, no good deeds can earn, and no suffering can steal. So that one day that you would be with him resurrected from the grave without paralyzed affections, without paralyzed minds, and yes, without paralyzed bodies. And for others of you this morning who are beaten by the violent winds of this life, worn and weary, I want you to hear the words from an old theologian. It says, a few more years of watching and praying, a few more tossings on the sea of this world, a few more deaths and changes, a few more winters and summers, and all will be over. We shall have fought our last battle and shall need to fight no more. I'll end with this. Um, I had an old, older pastor tell me the story of his, of his 40th surprise birthday party. He, he calls it his, uh, his predestined birthday party. And he said on the eve of his birthday, he innocently stepped into his, his church's fellowship hall only to hear 250 plus people scream, surprise. 
And it turns out that his wife had been scheming and orchestrating a two-month plot to finally, to finally get him, to finally surprise him. He, he didn't like surprises, but his, his wife got him. And it was, a, it was a total success, he said. And he was not only surprised by all the love and affection from his friends and family who traveled near and far to come and celebrate him, but he was even more baffled and in disbelief at the stealth of his own wife, who, who was one of the most good-natured and, and, and honest people. And she told him afterward the, the entire story. She told him that all, all about the fake emails and the super-secret Facebook groups and hiding text messages from him and, and sneaking around his, his crazy schedule. He said after the night was over, he was just struck by the sheer beauty of it all. So much time, so much planning, so much concern, just so that a group of people could tell him how much they care about him. And as he sat up late that night, it made him think about the reality of God's sovereignty in his life. That there is something captivatingly beautiful about a God who has meticulously planned out every detail of one's life, not so that he can rule the universe in despotic ferocity, but very simply to tell his creatures that he loves them. See, what, what if at the end of, this, of, of time, the end of your life, you, you suddenly discover that every so-called random event, every trial and tribulation, all of the confusion and uncertainty of your past life had been meticulously pieced together into a beautiful tapestry which when finally in hindsight unfolded a persistent, unquenchable, cosmic affection towards you. That as soon as you open your eyes on the other side of death, all the trumpets will sound. And there will appear the entire creation screaming, surprise! And it all makes sense. All the wrongs will be righted, all the hurts will be healed, and all the tears will be wiped away. And that what ensues will be an eternal bath of joy, a cosmic unending party. See, Christian, as we lie on the floor, he whispers, my child, your sins are forgiven. Yet soon enough, we will hear, rise, my child, and enter the joy of your master. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those downtrodden by the brokenness of this world, that we would be reminded again today that you have removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. Because of your life and your death and your resurrection, help us to seize upon the hope that one day we will be with you forever, with unparalyzed souls and unparalyzed bodies. Lord, I ask by your grace that you would restore to us again today the joy of our salvation that comes through the forgiveness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want us now to take some time to reflect on the truth of God's word. And while we do that, we're going to take a moment to collect our tithes and offerings and give back to our generous God. So let's spend some time doing that.